This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. We have on the line now Alistair Anderson. Uh, he's our, normally our regular cultural correspondent for the show, but uh, he has um, been writing some other stuff lately, which uh, is of interest. And uh, I just thought we'd bring him onto the show to chat about it. Uh, Alistair, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, how are you? I am uh, very, very well, thank you. Uh, now, you, you've got a really nice story, um, this, uh, is, it, is it this week, this edition, uh, about Mark Wainer, uh, who is, a, 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 he actually died fairly recently, he was a, a property mogul. Uh, tell, us, uh, tell us about it. Yes, so I'm doing a piece for Asset Magazine, uh, which is a property mag, which is coming out in the next few days. It's the cover story. Um, so Mark actually passed on the 20th of April um, at 71, and he was probably the, I'd say, that one of the most well-known deal makers, most colorful people in commercial property in this country for decades. I mean, he was, he was 71 when he passed away, and he'd, he'd been in the industry for a good 40 years, um, even more. And he's just such a colorful character because he, he's quite famous for pretty much only having a trick and from that going on to earn a lot of money and also kind of re, I suppose, change commercial property in this country forever. So you, you've been doing uh, this uh, this article on him. He, he didn't die in South Africa. He lived in Australia, right? Um, he, he had a heart attack. Um, but if I'm correct, he was in this country at the, at the time. Okay. Um, but he, he'd had heart attacks before. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I'd say Mark lived life to the fullest. Um, he's quite famous for probably smoking, um, you know, half of the camel stock. Um, uh, been, you know, he was very old the, school. Wouldn't have been in favor of the cigarette ban. Is that what you're saying? I'm definitely not. He, he probably been, would have been quite public about it if he, if he was still around. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about him. How did he get into property? You say you only had him a trick. What was the start of his career that he uh, that, that he was so into property and uh, that's what he ended up doing? So originally he came from a fairly middle class, I'd say sort of lower middle class family, um, you know, of Jewish immigrants somewhere down the line. And they ran a, a fish and grocer kind of shop in Yeovil. And that was the family business. But he didn't really want to do that forever it lost a bit of money at one point because they, they were kind of swindled in a deal so he ended up seeing an advert for a shopping center manager in kempton park at a shopping um center there you know when shopping centers are quite new in the country he took that job um mostly because he was one of the only candidates who actually went and looked at the shopping center before the interview so he could actually make comments about it everyone else you know was a kind of ca or some kind of accountant who uh, just spoke numbers to them and they didn't like it and then from then on, he just built a career very quickly and eventually listed redefined properties about 20 odd years ago, um, which has grown to be the second biggest South African property company. So this is a very much a story of someone who sort of uh, did it from the bottom up. Uh, what kind of, you know, work was redefined famous for as, as a property company? What kind of stuff did they get involved in? So, uh, I mean, Redefine now owns Redefine Towers, which is their huge office in Rosebank. Um, it's got that gym in it, Virgin Act, and a lot of offices there. Uh, they've got Centurion Mall, uh, which is the biggest, probably their biggest uh, asset at the moment. Done a lot of deals. I mean, along the way, Mark worked at different groups, including Hyprop. So he did a deal with Canal Walk, where Hyprop got Canal Walk. Um, 
you know, it was seen as a big white elephant, that shopping center in Cape Town, because it just, it was, you know, the, the expenses that went to building it were way over budget, and they couldn't fill it. So he had quite a good knack for finding how to, how to get sort of struggling assets to work again. So I think he understood, and, and perhaps that, you know, that's what comes from his fairly humble beginnings, that he understood what a tenant wants, so how to at least talk to a tenant so that they feel important and that they're gaining something. I mean, I think that's the, the huge thing with Mark is he understood if, if you want to get ahead in a deal, any negotiation in life, someone else has got to get something from it. You know, you can't just bully someone into a corner because you've got more money than them. And I think that's why you were so consistent. I mean, that, that is an interesting, uh, interesting perspective that you give. You know, you do tend to think of people who are, um, you know, property people uh, or, or, or not just property, but like big tycoons like that as being – uh, ag- aggressive uh, bullies, but but from what you're saying, it, it sounded as if uh, he was a bit of a mensch, even if he was a hard dealer. Yeah, I think so. Look, um, I'm sure somewhere down the line, he he probably got the better of somebody in a deal. Um, maybe you know scored a bit more calm than he should have. Um, you know, maybe some smaller fund should have had a chance. But I think Mark is definitely someone had a lot of honour about him. He he never reneged on a on a handshake. Um, I mean, there's even uh, there was a book written about him, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, you know, as he looked to start sort of retiring, and he mentions there that one of the guys who'd who'd done a bad sort of deal with the family business. You know, he'd he'd really cost the family a lot of money. He found him later on in business, and he just refused to do business with him because he remembered it. So, so I, I suppose Mark was very much a person who was fairly righteous, but in you know, and about honor, but. Um, he could hold a grudge. Now, talk to us just about the property fund industry. I mean, uh, you know, after 94, property was a, a complete disaster zone in, in South Africa. Uh, you know, people, it was, there had been sanctions. People were not interested. There was political considerations. And then you know, all of a sudden in the, in the early and then late nineties, uh, you know, right up before the, the huge, um, sort of Asia crisis, Property just went through the roof. Was 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 redefined and, and, and property funds in general part of, of, of that story? Yeah, so <clears throat> well, when the economy started to pump, um, you know, so it's, it's after democracy and then again around the mid 2000s, we had, you know, when we had that ec- economic rise, um, they were definitely well positioned for it. Uh, I think what people forget is that, you know, there's a lot of capital flight in South Africa. So, it, it, it creates opportunities. Um, and as said, we didn't have the kind of shopping centers that we had overseas and we wanted them. So redefining a lot of these developers are quite good at uh, seeing trends abroad and making things work in South Africa. We also, you know, we live in a country which is still separated in many ways spatially. Um, so shopping centers work here. I mean, if we think about it, we're in the top 10. I think it's number six in the world in terms of the number of shopping centers per capita. So, so they've had that opportunity develop a lot. We're now sitting, you know, with COVID and an economy that's, you know, heading into recession where it's quite difficult to get deals of that size off the ground again. I mean, it is interesting what you're saying about uh, shopping malls because they actually very much are part of the South African landscape. People don't shop on a high street like they did in the the UK or, uh, you know, like neighborhood markets are not quite the same thing. And even the most famous markets that you can think of in Johannesburg are in, are in uh, are actually in malls. Uh, so there is kind of a mall culture 
what would you attribute that to? Is it a safety thing? Is it a access thing? Yeah, so I suppose it's a it's a bit of both. As said, we you know the the Joburg is a sprawl, especially so it's huge. It's very wide. It's a lot of distance between people. People are willing to drive it's pretty much from the middle class up. And um, so that's where shopping centers come in. And we look, we're influenced heavily by American culture also. So that's the American shopping mall exists here. We don't really have, as you say, uh, high streets. And that might be changing in places like the UK with online shopping. You know, those are the things that are being hit the hardest. But I mean, they're still there. Uh, yeah. So it's, it, and obviously from a safety point of view, we all know that everybody ran away from the inner city, probably making it worse. And they did that. But they, they kind of left, you know, dysfunctional high streets, which no longer work. So, yeah, you're, you're pretty much sitting with places like Santon City. Rosebank's now very much um, being developed with a big shopping center being the kind of anchor commercial center of that thing. But they want Rosebank to have a lot of foot traffic and the, the areas around that. So they're trying to make it more pedestrianized. But, uh, yeah, I think South Africans just love their cars and they're very comfortable in their cars. It is interesting you talk about online shopping, COVID, uh, you know, tenants. If, if you are a company like, uh, Redefine, um, you, you, you're running into some like quite difficult economic conditions, not just the lack of growth, but, but also as you say, online, uh, tenants not being so keen to pay. Is this an industry that's, that's having a, a bit of a tough period at the moment? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's, uh, listed property especially is probably in its worst period in memory. I mean, um, it, it kind of, it, it follows the economy. And if we're sitting with economic growth that's the worst in like a hundred years, then it goes that property is also going to be un, under pressure. But it's really been bad. If you look at all the asset classes that you can invest in at the moment, uh, listed property is down about 50%. You know, equities might be down in double digits, but they're not down 50. So, yeah, things are, things are very tough for, for the property industry right now. And you're finding that all the funds that are listed are basically trying to hold on to cash as much as possible. Um, so that they can pay dividends in the future. It's, it's just, it's a tough pull for a lot of investors because many of them are pensioners. And, you know, these property companies are the kinds of companies that are expected to pay dividends on a regular basis. They're not supposed to be high growth companies, but really kind of reliable dividend payers. And in, in fact, I, this is just talking off the top of my head, but I actually thought I saw a headline of one of the properties companies actually delisting from the JSC. Yeah, so they, it, it's quite rare that that you get delistings, but uh, there are one or two which which are not happening because the you know they finding they would have less pressure if they go private. They won't be forced to pay dividends anymore. I think it's probably Atlantic Leaf that you. That you read about, which is actually a U, it's a JSC listed company, but they're based in the UK and they're getting taken out by a private institution. Interesting, interesting. So, uh, Mark, uh, obviously has died. What, what kind of legacy does he leave? Uh, does, is the, their family, is he, is there some connection still to the business? Um, or, 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 or was, was he kind of out of the business by the time that he died? So, so Mark was CEO for, quite a while, I think it was about four years ago that Andrew Koenig came uh, took over from him, he was his FD so he, Mark had appointed Andrew kind of groomed him into the position um, and then Mark was chairman for a while and then he retired at the end of last year, so 
he has a son, Jordan, who stays in Australia, but he's he's running a different business uh, called Admits, which you might have seen when you go to shopping centers uh, where you drive through and it takes a picture of your license plate and then it bills you for your parking. So that's that's that business. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that the Wayno family still has, uh, you know, shareholdings in the group, but uh, you don't really see much of them kind of working directly and redefine a lot of Mark's uh, was quite interesting about him was he would find young guys who, were, you know, and women who were very interested in property and saw uh, in opportunities to grow through the industry to work with him, be it in Redefine or in his other companies. But then he was keen to let them spread their wings elsewhere. So right now, I'd say Redefine is quite a different group. Um, it's it's led by Andrew, who's definitely one of the most competent CEOs in the sector, um, but, but he's. A different, I think it's a different kind of person in business, and I think he's more cautious than Mark. Um, they're, they're going to bring in a new FD soon, and they've got, yeah, the, the business is changing as the country changes and the economy changes. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds, uh, I'm, I'm sure it will have to uh, adapt as it goes into the future. Alistair, if people want to read your article uh, and see this sort of in-depth report that you've done, where can they go ahead and do that? So it's the cover piece for Asset Magazine, which is going to be published in the next few days. Um, that'll be available online, so you, you can download the, the Asset app on the Play Store and just generally online. And other than that, it's going to be spread on my LinkedIn page and, yeah, all over the Internet. And and just out, outside of business, did, did, was Mark famous for having any other interests, uh, hobbies, charitable causes, that sort of thing? Well, he did a thing called the Mentorship Challenge, which Redefine put together with him. Because for a number of years, he'd meet with lots of young people who just wanted advice, even if it wasn't necessarily in property or in a business sense. So the Jewish community, he was quite known for that. And then he kind of ex, you know, expanded that across South Africa to help all kinds of people. Um, he was also a big fan of rugby, um, so much so that... Uh, there's a deal he did in Poland a few years ago where he actually met the Polish guy in a pub in the UK while the, the Rugby World Cup was going on that side. Um, yeah, but I, I, he definitely lived and breathed uh, commercial property in the end. I mean, he, he loved it and he loved doing deals. I think some of his colleagues have said uh, Mark just had to be on every deal. Um, and sometimes maybe he shouldn't have done some deals, but he, he was just it, it just kept him going. I, I think that's... Part, you know, part of last year when he retired, maybe he, he he kind of shocked himself by leaving when he just kind of wanted to work even more. His his wife passed away uh, not too long before he did. I think that also hit him quite hard, um, personally. So he was trying to see more of his family. But this guy was one of those people that you know worked. Well, work was his fun. You know, work was his hobby. Amazing, amazing stuff. Alistair, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, do uh, look up uh, Alistair Anderson uh, and check out uh, the story about Mark Wayne. Alistair, thank you so much for joining us. Hope to have you back thank again Thank you, soon. Benji. Yeah, keep well. Have a great week. Thank you.